Hear the word of the Lord from Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, and 20 through 22. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest, or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the Lord. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and for the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, probably not uh, a, a chapter that you read very often in your quiet times, is it? Uh, and think about the Sabbath year. Probably, I'm willing to guess that nobody here has ever heard a sermon on the Sabbath year. Well, we're going to fix that uh, today. There's an old Amish saying, we didn't inherit the land from our fathers, we are borrowing it from our children. Isn't that good? We didn't inherit the land from our fathers, we are borrowing it from our children. I think that is just saying in another way what God tells us in Scripture and what he told our ancestors in the garden when he said, you are to exercise dominion over the land. Ellen Davis, who's a professor at Duke Divinity School, suggests that the best translation of the Hebrew word dominion is this, to exercise skilled mastery. Exercise skilled mastery. When I was growing up in Pennsylvania, not far from Lancaster County, home of a large uh, Amish community, the Amish farmers were known for their skilled mastery of the land. Their farms were almost uh, manicured. They were so beautiful. Their barns and houses were kept up well, painted. Their animals well-bred. And you never saw an Amish wagon broken down on the side of the road. Some of you will also know that the Amish are famous for the quality of their harnesses and for the furniture uh, that they make. Caring for creation was not a fad to the Amish. The care of creation, the skilled mastery of it, was a way of life they lived in order to honor the God who is the creator of all. And so what our uh, scripture teaches us this morning, that Sabbath year and its practice teaches us to honor God by honoring this gift of creation. Now, 
this particular truth is not to be important to us because the world we live in faces serious environmental uh, challenges. Even though that's true, that's not the reason that we practice Sabbath year principles. We practice Sabbath year principles in order to honor God by making the care of creation a normal part of our way of life. Our motivation for caring for the air, the land, and the water is different from the motivation of the world around us. Our motivation is love. The love for God and love for his gifts of creation. That's our motivation. So you see, even if uh, creation were to be completely restored, we would continue to live that way in order to honor God and to love him by the way we handle his gifts. Interestingly, Peter Harris, uh, a, a Christian uh, environmental uh, uh, leader, uh, noted that a friend of his, a social scientist at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, that's the study of birds, by the way, uh, told him that studies have shown one of the marker personality traits among environmentalists, so curious, is anxiety. They are anxious. And their motivation for being environmentalists is this deep-seated anxiety that they have. The Christian approach, however, is very different. It is celebratory, it is grateful, and it is hopeful because we worship a God who is sovereign and providential over all things. So, what does Scripture teach us then about this command to practice a Sabbath year that will result in honoring and loving God and his creation. Well, this practice of once every seven years, letting the land lie fallow, involved tremendous trust on the part of the people of Israel. Because to do so, they had to not only live on what they had harvested in year six, but they didn't plant again until year eight, which meant they didn't get food again until year nine. So it wasn't one year that they had to trust God for, for the food. It was actually three years that they had to trust him uh, for to provide for them. Now, as I've mentioned last week about Jubilee, I'll say again about the Sabbath year. This is a command that came after the fall, after sin had entered into the world. If sin had never entered into the world and broken creation itself, Sabbath year would not have been necessary. Our ancestors would have just continued to nurture and care for the land, exercise skilled mastery over it, and it would never have been depleted. It would never have suffered uh, in the way that we see it suffering uh, today. So this gift of Sabbath year is intended to then, now that the fall has taken place, enable us to love God and care for these gifts that he has given to us. So a few points I want to make about this. First, recognize that our greatest enemy in caring for creation is the god Mammon. Now, Mammon is the one god that Jesus names in the New Testament. He says he's the god of this present evil age. Now, Mammon is sometimes referred to as either money or materialism or whatever. But Mammon is one of those uh, fallen deities, part of the stable of the evil one himself, who does battle against you. And his strategy, 
as far as creation is concerned, is to try to convince you that rather than taking the long view of Sabbath year and caring for creation, you should get now exactly what you want. That's what mammon is going to whisper in your ear. Get it now. Don't worry about the future. Get it now. Regardless of the cost to creation, get it now. Mammon tries to divert our attention from all that God intends and instead convince us that it's okay to believe that getting the most for myself right now is okay. In other words, if we don't recognize right at the start that caring for creation is first a spiritual warfare issue, we will not be able to live according to the principles of the Sabbath year. Fifty years ago, Christianity Today, in an editorial, said this, Our unwritten national goal is an ever higher standard of living. Our unwritten national goal is an ever higher standard of living. It stems from our bent for acquiring material things to compensate, notice, to compensate for lack of spiritual fulfillment. And the result is exploitation. Of what? Of the gifts of creation, the air, the soil, the water that God has given to us. Now, they're writing about America, but they could just as easily be writing about virtually every country on the face of the earth. Because that is mammon's strategy. Convince people that an ever higher standard of living is the goal in life. Now, enjoying a good standard of living is not sin. But when it becomes the goal of our lives, it takes us in directions that are contrary to what Scripture teaches. So, what is the solution? Well, I think there are a couple of things that can be said about it. One is that my own experience, uh, living around farmers here for almost 18 years, was that they saw their care of the land as their vocation. I remember one farmer saying to me, the work that I do feeds 4,000 families every year. That's right. That's the way we look at our care of creation. By carefully nurturing the land, he was able to, year after year after year, provide food for over 4,000 people. That is saying no to mammon and yes to God. Another possibility uh, is something that Dr. Carl Rydell, who is a Christian environmental scientist, he was interviewed in that same issue 50 years ago in Christianity Today. And surprisingly, but speaking specifically to Christians, mind you, he said this, the way to engage in the proper care of creation is begin to tithe. He says, I know of no better way to face up to the personal question of one's own attitude toward material affluence than to tithe. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I, I don't give financial advice. The only thing I do is I say to people, take seriously what God says about tithing in Scripture. Because when you tithe, a couple things happen. One, you realize that you don't have 100% of the income that you're getting to live on. So automatically you make, begin to make decisions that I think are more responsible and rational. You plant a seed that goes against impulsive buying. 
Because you say to yourself, I don't have 100%. I can't afford uh, to waste if I'm trying to live on the 90% having already returned the tithe of 10% uh, to the Lord. Uh, and and I, would, I would tell the story. Um, and I'm going to do a, a sermon on stewardship later on, so I can't use all my best stories uh, today. But, but I'm going to tell you one. Um, my parents uh, had children in college for 15 straight years. And at one point, three of us were all in at the same time. And yet my parents tithed throughout that entire 15-year period. In fact, one year, my father had to go to the bank and borrow money so he could pay his tithe. Now, is that not ridiculous? But the banker gave it to him, and he did it. And then what I like to say is that when my father passed away in 2000, he left my mother with an estate sufficient that she was able to live for the next 18 years without ever suffering any kind of financial distress. God honored that decision to tithe. And isn't it interesting that it's an environmental scientist who says to the church, if you really want to plant a seed that will grow and defeat mammon, then uh, make that decision about how you're going to use the gifts that he has given to you. But now, the necessity of a Sabbath year command teaches us a second important truth. Namely, that creation's suffering is linked to human sin. Again, I cannot say often enough that had sin not entered the world, the Sabbath year would never have been necessary. Our ancestors would have cared for the land and done so well. Sin changed all that. But it's not only that sin has caused creation to suffer. It is mankind's sin that has added tragically to this suffering of creation. Notice what the prophet Hosea says uh, explicitly in, in his words to Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, all of those things that he's just named. Because of this, the land mourns. It cries, it weeps. And all who live in it waste away. Notice, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. Because of this, the sins of the people. You noticed that he was merely recounting the commandments, wasn't he? as he named off those sins. So we have to understand that human sin has a tragic role in what happens to creation. We are responsible. Now, Christians of all people are the least surprised by this because we know, or should know, better than most, that sin breaks things, including creation. Human sin causes everything we steward to suffer, including God's gift of the climate. We see this in, in Genesis, the Genesis account, where after the fall, we see that uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth uh, for you. Romans Perhaps the best-known passage, Romans 8, 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It wasn't creation's choice to suffer this way but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in, as in the pains of childbirth until now. Now when you step back, can you think of a better description of what's going on in the created order today than what Paul writes there? Creation is like a, a woman groaning in childbirth. The pain uh, that is there. But of course, there is something good that comes even at the end of childbirth. And in the providence of God, there's always also something good that comes from our suffering and even the suffering of creation. We're going to get to that uh, in a moment. But what we want to remember is that even then, the land continued to be fruitful. The land continued to provide. Now, someone told me one time that the surface of the earth has about a three-foot layer of dirt that is sufficient for growing the crops and the fruits and the vegetables that we enjoy. Just this thin crust uh, over the face uh, of the earth. And God wants us to care for it. He wants us to treat it with the respect that it is due because it is the handiwork uh, of God. But now we need to ask what these warnings given to Israel 3,000 years ago have to do with us today. And the answer, I think, is twofold. First, recognize our role in the harming of creation. We have to take responsibility for what we do year in and year out that brings harm to creation. Second, use the gifts God has given us to care for creation as best we can. Now, there's a tremendous risk at this point of giving you a bunch of rules. Say, okay, eat muesli, uh, wear sandals, be miserable, care for creation. That's what legalism does. But we're not going to do that. Because have we not said that we are all people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? Are we not people who have the wisdom of God itself at our uh, disposal to use in order to creatively, like God himself, care for this extraordinary gift of air and water and land? Of course. Now, there are people who are experts in this field that you can read, understand there's this thing called Google that you can go to. And you can type in things, and it will give you answers for all kinds of questions that you might have. So <clears throat> it's smarter, I think, than I am. So it's not my job to give you a bunch of rules about you know, what detergent to use or whatever. You can figure that out uh, yourself if you have made the decision that you're going to do everything in your power to reduce the effects of sin on creation and magnify the power of God in this extraordinary set of gifts uh, that he has given uh, to us. Uh, I did read one interesting thing, and this was uh, many, many years ago. 
the United States was harvesting from the rivers and streams of South America enough fish that would have, had it stayed in those countries, provided for the protein deficit of those populations. Is that clear? Okay, we, we were harvesting fish. But here's the deal. We were using it for cat food. Now, I don't say that to tell you to stop feeding your cat, right? Some people really like cats. Some of you remember Grace Brass, a dear soul, member of this church many years ago. She and her sister, who were, uh, lived together, neither were married, they had, I think, 22 cats uh, that they fed at their fa farmhouse every day. And I remember one time making a joke about cats, which in my youth I was prone to do. I don't do it anymore. And Grace just looked at me at choir practice one week and said, but Trevor, cats are God's creation too. Now I had to think about that before I agreed, but yeah, <laughs> there you have it. So I'm not saying don't feed your cats. But I'm saying as we make decisions in our world today, are we making decisions that are going to nurture the earth and allow it then to nurture uh, the people that God has created in his own image. Well, finally, the Sabbath here teaches us that when we exercise dominion in the form of skilled mastery of the air, water, and land, creation benefits. Creation benefits. Now, a couple of examples that we can use, I think, that would, that would demonstrate this. Um, some secular environmentalists argue that human beings are always and alone the problem for all of the pollution that ends up in the world. Well, I want to challenge that assumption. It's certainly true that we can be, but the assumption that it's always the case, I, I think biblically we can challenge that. For example, uh, there's a, a scientist, Gillian Prance, who in studying the Amazon rainforests, uh, and he did so for decades, believes that the very diversity of the rainforest is a result of gardening. The people who lived in there did selective pruning of different plants and allowed for the prospering of those rainforests. Uh, another uh, person has uh, suggested that if you went back to England uh, prior to the time when uh, a lot of population come in, it was almost entirely oak trees until people came in and began to till the land and plant different kinds of things. Then biodiversity came in, making England the beautiful country with all its varied plants and uh, uh, beautiful gardens that they have today. It took people exercising skilled mastery over creation for that kind of beauty to result. Just this morning, in the New York Times, I was reading an article about the city of Philadelphia, near and dear to my heart. It's the home of the Philadelphia Phillies. You might have heard of them. Finest baseball team that's ever, ever been. And the Philadelphia Flyers, the kindest, gentlest of hockey teams that's ever uh, existed. <laughs> A group of people in Philadelphia went into the most crime-ridden neighborhoods of the city. And I can probably guess exactly which neighborhoods they went into. And what they did was they tore down dilapidated, deserted buildings 
and they began to plant gardens. And after planting the gardens, they discovered that the crime rate went down in those neighborhoods. Now, they did a control. They went to others and tore down, but didn't plant gardens. There, the crime rate remained the same. But when they planted gardens, something that was beautiful, something that people could go to and enjoy, that depression levels went down and crime went down. When people exercise skilled mastery over the creation that God has given to us, blessing comes. Well, friends, practicing the Sabbath year, I don't believe means any longer that every seventh year uh, we tell our farmers, don't plant this year, let it lie fallow. That worked in that particular culture because that's the way things work. But for us, I think we have scores of other ways that we can implement this principle of caring for creation and so honoring God and expressing to him in another way the fact that we love God, that we love his creation, that his gifts are precious to us. And we now get to care for them, to nurture them, and to increase the blessing that they can be to us and to our children. Because I think the Amish are right. We didn't inherit the land from our fathers. We're borrowing it from our children. And as we do that, as we care for it, the good news of the gospel gets heard by creation and by people who observe. Look at how the Christians care for the soil, the air, the water. The good news of the gospel. Amen.